Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. The Lord's been good to us, hasn't he? Been so good to us. Preaching that we heard last week, just alone from Wednesday night through Sunday afternoon, I feel like my life's work is cut out for me. I truly say that from my heart. My life's work is cut out for me. This evening we're going to continue in our study with the Beatitudes. And I know and and I prayerfully consider sometimes the, the difficulty, if that's the right word to use, that it may be to keep continuity in a, in a series or a study when we have breaks in our weeks, but there's no way around that. But I pray that God would help us to just reconnect back from where we left off the last time. And so I pray that the Lord would just touch this to our heart. And so I want us to just pray together this evening and ask God to touch his word to our heart because this is not about just showing up, putting a check by our name that we were here and present counted for. Nor is this about just me coming to try to fill up a little bit of your time. But I want the Lord to help us to look into the, the, the fiber root principles of just how to be a Christian. I, I want to be saved. I really mean that with all of my heart. As, as trivial as that may sound to some, I, I, I really want to be saved. Amen. And so let's ask God to touch this word to our heart. Can we do that? Lord, we love you. We ask you tonight to touch us. We are here with hungry hearts and with open minds. And so I pray that we will just empty ourselves of self and that we will wipe our minds clean and our heart and present to you a clean slate upon which you can write your word. And I pray that you will speak, Lord, to us in that that fashion that we can be truly challenged and then rise to that challenge to be changed by the power of of your word in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. And you you may be seated. This evening, I'm going to deal with two um, of the Beatitudes found in beginning with Matthew 5 and 8, and then we will move to verse number 9 in just a few minutes. But The Bible says in Matthew 5 and 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And um, I ask the Lord sincerely as we begin to prepare for this series that we would not just that we would not just meander through again just a familiar passage of Scripture and leave untouched and unchanged, but to somehow with His hand of mercy touch my heart, let me see something that I've never been able to see before, and I pray that prayer for you as well. Amen. The, the book of Matthew 5 and 8 in this particular beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God is probably one of the most comprehensive of all the beatitudes because it is 
right here resting in these words that holiness and happiness are not only fully described, but they are brought together. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This may sound tonight a little bit, uh, a little shallow in the beginning, but if you can understand the sincerity of my heart, I would greatly appreciate it. I think that true religion consists of heart purity, to be pure in heart, to be real. Those who are inwardly pure show themselves to be under the power of pure and undefiled religion, pure, without motive, without strings attached, without anything that if you pull it over here, it puckers over here, just pure, that we can just come before the presence of God without anything for ourselves and just say, Lord, I wanna praise you and worship you. And I know that we have the privilege and we are, are even instructed in scripture not only to come before the Lord with prayer and supplication, or, or in other words, prayer and our needs. And so we can come without shame. The Bible even says that we can come with boldness to the throne of grace. And so I understand that we all have needs and if we were to list them all tonight individually, it would be a long list and I dare say we would leave by midnight if we were just to read the list of all the needs that are presented right here in this local congregation. I'm not talking about just trivial things, trivial matters, but things that are turn and change points in our lives. And so I pray that God would help us to understand that when we come before the, to the Lord, that we need to come not just with a list, we need to come with a pure heart to be sincere in what we're doing. And so true Christianity, I, I say that we need to have a pure heart because I believe that's where true Christianity lies. It lies in the heart. More specifically, it lies in the purity of heart. And so that's why we so desperately need the washing of our heart from wickedness. And so we live in this wicked, wicked world and I don't think there would be any debate about that. We live in this wicked world. And so we live in, the, in a world, just, it's not uncommon out, especially in this particular area, it can, and probably true no matter where you live, but that you can wash your vehicle and you don't even have to pull it out of the driveway. In just a few days, it needs to be washed again. And you can't really see that. You can't, sometimes you can see visible signs of dust clouds or whatever, but they're just particles and things in the air. They're just there, whether you can see it or sense it or not. And it sticks to you. And so we desperately need that washing of our heart from wickedness. And so before we say what wickedness, we need to understand that the world is wicked. We live in a very evil and a vile time and so we just need God to cleanse us. Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 14, four and 14. O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thoughts lodge within thee? Wash your heart, wash your heart. Now as children, we have probably all, or at least a majority of us been guilty of having to have our parents turn us around and say, go wash again. Did you wash your hands? Sure. Did you take a bath? Sure. <laughs> and so without a pure heart, they say, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. But inside, or, or the truth of the matter reveals a completely different story. 
And so we need to wash thyself. And so the Lord said, you need to wash your heart so that you can be saved. And how long will you allow vain thoughts to lodge within thee? That's pretty strong language. How long will you allow all of these things to just camp out in your life? We're not talking about something passing through. And so we must lift up God before God, not only clean hands, but a clean heart. David said in Psalms 24 and four, he, hath cleaned, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Paul writes to Timothy in chapter one, verse five, now the end of the commandment is charity and out of a, is out of a pure heart. The end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. And so what is a pure heart? According to the Greek for this particular verse, the phrase means the thoughts and the mind. Or in other words, blessed are the ones with a pure heart and a pure mind. Now we are in a constant battle to keep our mind clean and our heart clean because we're exposed to all sorts of things. Amen. If we could... If we could see all of the things that we're exposed to on a daily basis, if we could see the diseases or the sicknesses or viruses in the air, if you could literally see them, none of us would dare have the courage to step outside. But we, we understand that they, are, they exist. And this is not a, this is not a, a Bible lesson to, to stir fear within our heart, but it is, should be something to wake us up and help us to understand that we're not immune to any of this. And so David, when Saul was slain, David did not say he had it coming. David's, David's proclamation when finding out that Saul had been, when he had been taken out, David did not have any rejoicing hint in him at all. David said, oh, how the mighty are fallen. What a, what a different attitude that David had toward this man who had on multiple occasions tried to take his life. As a matter of fact, David even admonished those. He said, let not this even be spoken among us. Uh, let, let, let it be, lest the Philistines rejoice in all of this. So I don't, I don't even want to talk about it. He wasn't in denial, but that's just how he understood the day that he was living in. And so we have to be very, very careful that our mind is clean, that our heart is clean, that our heart is pure. And this is really foundational in our walk with God because we either succeed in serving God or we fail. There is no middle ground. We either get this or we don't get this. And so I wanna say tonight, we must get this. We must. The process begins and continues in our mind. And so it is imperative that we keep our mind clean. Think about, if you will, the days of Noah and then contrast that against the very day that we are living in now. The Bible says in Genesis 6 and 5, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. If we did not know that this was a quote from the book of Genesis, how aptly this would fit into the headline of any daily newspaper today that would so describe not only our nation but our world how that the thoughts of mankind is on evil continually. Luke 17, 26 
Jesus said, as, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. And so here we see that very spirit alive and well. I, I know I mentioned this, I know I mentioned this Sunday, but I, I just can't get away from it. I, I, I've been living with this since Brother Mooney mentioned it the other day in the service at church about Mount St. Helens. And he said of those people who would not leave the mountain, they were not foolish. They were not ignorant or they were not unlearned, but they were people that grossly underestimated the power of the mountain. And so today I look across our fellowship and not just our local church and so I say we are not going to die because we are ignorant or unlearned. We are not going to die of stupidity, but we will die if we underestimate the the power of wickedness in this world. If we underestimate the power of sin and what it can do, not to someone else, but what it can do in our home and what it can do to our family and our children, our marriage, our companions, we're not exempt. We're not exempt and so we would be foolish to underestimate the power of wickedness. And so people say, well, what is the big deal? And maybe you're just antiquated with your message and maybe you're just out of tune and out of touch. But I'll tell you today that if we do not if we do not once again ring the bell and sound the alarm and blow the trumpet long and loud and clear, we are all going to be in trouble. If the Bible, the Bible says if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, then who shall prepare themselves to the battle? So we live in a world where the minds of men have been corrupted. Titus 1 and 15, the scripture says, unto the pure, all things are pure. Be wonderful if we could stop right there. But he said, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even in their mind, even their mind and conscience is defiled. Amen. I would to God that we could just pause this service for 45 minutes and just let that verse marinate in our heart for just a while. To the pure, all things are pure, but to them that are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But there is something slanted to everything. Their mind, their conscience is defiled deep down to the core. Nothing, nothing, nothing is pure. Wrong is no longer wrong. Right is no longer right. How much that fits the world that we live in today. When we would think in our mind, we hear news or we hear something coming down the pike and we think in our heart, that'll never happen. That would never happen. Who would have ever dreamed just five years ago that we would be standing where we are today? I don't. I dare say no one in this building would have been able to predict that we have slid so far down this slippery slope. And where did all this begin? It begins in the mind. In the minds of men that are corrupt and defiled. Amen. Be assured of this. Things that are allowed to get into the mind and grow eventually will be acted on. Amen. Let me say that again. Things that come into our mind and are allowed to grow. Amen. There are things that flash across the screen of all of our mind. We don't know where it came from, but we know where we want to send it. That's not what I'm talking about. When we let things come in our mind and stop, when you let something come to your mind and camp out, it will eventually be acted out on. Now, I want to take us, if I may, to a familiar story, at least familiar to some. Forgive me if it's not familiar to you tonight. 
but I will try to do my best to reach everyone in here. But a, a, a story about a man by the name of Achan, a man by the name of Achan who stole some things that did not belong to him. Now, it's an incredible story, but for the sake of time, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Here is a man that took some things that did not belong to him. A man who heard the command that we are not to do even touch this or have anything to do with it. But I want us to listen carefully to his confession. When Joshua finally came to the conclusion that something is wrong, there is sin in the camp. That's where we get that phrase. There is sin in the camp. And so Joshua confronts Achan. And I want us to look carefully at Joshua 7 and 21. This is Achan's reply. This is his testimony. He said, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. I know there's more scripture here, but I want us to just focus on a couple of key phrases right here. Here's what Achan said. When I saw, then I coveted, then I took. It all began through that gateway to the mind of sight. I saw them. And I let that thought take up residence in my heart for just a little while to the point that I coveted them and then I took them. And so I saw, coveted, and took. And all of this came about as an end result that these spoils stayed too long in his heart. And I'll promise you that that there are times the enemy will plant any kind of thought in our mind. It's up to us to rebuke that and get it out. Amen, pronto, (laughs) pronto. Amen, that's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about letting things come in and reside, just letting, going back to that well and sipping of that bitter water. Have you ever wondered why the other Israelites did not take anything? I don't have the clear answer to that, but perhaps it had everything to do with the condition of their heart. Here was one man whose heart was vile. Here's one man who said, I'm gonna see, I'm gonna think about, I'm gonna covet, I'm going to take. He meant somebody else who had a pure heart that, that, that didn't even cross their mind. They saw the garments, they saw the gold, they're not blind, amen. They're not foolish, they're not unlearned, but they had a pure heart. And so that it, didn't, it didn't come into their life to take that, amen. But here is a man who allowed his heart or his mind because it wasn't right. Now it would be one thing if all of this just played out in one man's life and no one else was ever affected by that. He was just kind of called out of the crowd and said, because you've done this now, you're gonna have to pay a high penalty for that. But you see his entire family, his whole house was affected by the decisions that he made. Now don't misunderstand this. This is not, uh, this is not what some people may refer to as the sins of the father. But I can tell you that the decisions that we are making today are going to have a trickle down effect. It will, amen, it will shake and it will, it will affect the lives of those around us because we are not islands to ourselves. We are not alone in this world. And so because we are connected in this network of family, the decisions that I make will affect my wife, my son, my daughter-in-law. It will affect people around, it will affect people around me. It will affect people around you. And so we've got to understand that because Achan allowed his mind to think on wrong things long enough, in a little while he began to justify that in his mind. Well, I might as well. 
I mean, it has been offered, and what would it hurt? Amen. And so after a while, it, 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 he explained it all away in his own mind. And it all began with seeing. Amen. It all began with seeing. And so it's that that invades the heart and the mind. And then it's not long after that that action takes place. And so people say, what's the big deal? There is a big deal. It's a huge deal. Why would you teach against this? Or why would you teach against that? What's the big deal? You see, when you move one thing, you don't just move one thing. When you start moving landmarks, when you start moving things that are fundamental, it's going to have an effect not just on you, it's going to shake things around it. And so time really is the teller of all. Over time, the true condition of our heart It'll be manifested. It'll be manifested, maybe not even by our mouth, but our actions will speak the true sentiments of our heart. So that's why that we have to be so careful. We have to be careful what we look at. We have to be careful what we think about. We have to be careful what we do. You said, well, you're just trying to incite fear. No, I'm trying to wake us up and help us to realize that evil is everywhere present and the enemy is just waiting for an opportunity to come in. And so all we have to do is just leave the door unlocked one time. That's all you have to do is just leave the door unlocked one time. And so why? Why is it that you keep saying this? It's because it matters what you look at. It matters what you find entertainment in. It matters what occupies your mind. It matters what we think about. It matters what we dwell on. Why? Because those things are taking root in our lives. And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful what we do because if our heart is not yielded to God, you will sin. But why? Because that's our nature. That is our nature. So don't be insulted by that. If our heart is not yielded to God, sin will follow. Amen, I don't say that to sound crass, don't say that to sound uncouth, but I say it because there is a battle that is going on in our lives every waking hour, every waking moment there is a battle. Romans 7, 23, the Bible says, Paul said, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin, which is where? In my members, in my body, it is there. I'm not trying to just to repeat myself for the sake of repeating myself, but you don't have to teach children to do wrong. You have to teach them to do right. Why? Because it's in their members. It's in their hands to steal. It's in their mouth to lie. It's there. It's already there. We have to say no, no, pull against that. People that deny this warring against their mind are playing with fire. There is a spiritual battle that is in full force. It's a battle that is sufficient enough that we can't ever afford to lean on the arm of flesh. I cannot ever afford to say, I don't need to pray today. I have this. I can never afford to say, I've got this. I don't need the Lord. I have what I need in my own self. Never, 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 never will we have it within ourselves. So we can't allow our flesh or as some people say, just let your conscience be your God. Are you kidding me? I can't let my conscience be my guide because the scripture says that my conscience can become seared with a hot iron. So I can't just trust me. I can't just trust what feels right. 
probably all of us to some degree in some particular setting have found ourselves in a particular situation where it felt right, it seems right. This Maybe you're gonna make a purchase and it all, this just seems good, this is gonna be a good idea, but you let yourself think about it a little while. And the best of us get caught up in the moment. Who hasn't been somewhat bedazzled by the smell of new leather in a brand new car? <laughs> that can minimize those monthly payments just in a few minutes. But when you get away and just, I'm gonna go eat lunch, I'm gonna think about this a little while. <laughs> Shake those cobwebs out of your mind. Amen, so I can't let my flesh, I can't just give in to that. I can't, I can't do that. And so let's look at Jeremiah 17 and nine. This is why probably one of the most sobering things. Jeremiah 17, nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Can I say you can't trust yourself? And you know what? A statement like that flies in the face of some people. You can't trust yourself. Because we're made out of the same thing the most vile sinner is made out of. Same blood courses through our vein. Same things that make up them make up us. And so, so Jeremiah said, it's, your heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and try the reins, even, follow me now, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. I, the Lord, search the heart I try the reins, even to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. God alone knows the most intimate thoughts of the heart. Leave that scripture there for just a moment. Look closely at the end of verse 10. The Lord gives to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. Now that's a little King James vernacular to say this. The Lord gives according to his ways and according to his actions. So the Lord rewards according to ways and according to reactions. And so it's important to see that this particular passage of scripture has a twofold meaning. Undeniably, God does give good to the good. However, he also implies that whatever a man is in his heart will be rewarded accordingly. And so God is going to give every man according to his way and according to the fruit of his doing. And so we are going to reap what we sow. Here is another verse, another passage that just underscores the law of the harvest. And so we've got to be very careful that we guard our heart. Amen, I must guard my heart. I've got to protect what comes in there because from this heart are the issues of life. From this heart is the makeup of this man standing before you so I had better guard my heart be careful I must be careful I mentioned a few weeks ago the company that we keep and I said this then not original to me but show me your friends and I'll show you your future because we will be like that that we tolerate that that we bring alongside after a while that will become us that's why Paul said to Timothy there's no there, there's no questioning here what Paul is, is, is aiming at. There's no need to drag out a concordance because Paul says to Timothy, flee youthful lust. 
You gotta get away from that. There's something about that that is imperative. You gotta flee youthful lust and but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We must get away from that that's wrong and embrace that that is right. In other words, we have to follow those that follow God with a pure heart. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, the Bible says, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Wrong conversations have the ability to change good behavior to bad behavior. And so what is the reward for all of this? What is the reward for guarding our heart? What's the reward for guarding the corridor of our mind? What is the reward for guarding what we see, what we hear, what we participate in? The Bible says the reward is for they shall see God. Now that's a pretty important thing. The word see means in this particular passage means to gaze with wide open eyes at something remarkable, to gaze with wide open eyes at something remarkable. Or in, in this case, it means to gaze upon God and someday you and I are going to see him. What hope that brings to us. Gaze upon him with those wide open eyes that Paul talks about. What an incredible promise. Paul said to the Corinthian church, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then with wide open eyes face to face. Amen, face to face. Amen, but only if we have a pure heart. So I wanna be able to see God. I wanna be able to come before him. I want to be able to live, and I've talked about this and taught on this and preached about this for many, many times. I wanna live, I wanna live inside that accusation line. Amen, I don't wanna be out here so far on the edge that the enemy can accuse me. And I gotta work through all that during praise and worship and I've already missed all of the song because I've been out there so close to the accusation line I've been trying to convince the devil all that time that wasn't what I was doing. Am I making any sense at all? We're in prayer, we're trying to pray and the devil, the accuser of the brethren is whispering in our ear and our conscience is twisted and torn. I wanna live on the inside of that, come before the Lord with holy hands and holy and clean lips. Amen. Let's move to verse number nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they, <clears throat> for they shall be called the children of God. Now the Beatitudes again takes a turn from inward actions of a man to the outward actions. In the previous Beatitude, we deal mainly with the inner man, but now, now Jesus is gonna talk to his disciples in such a way to let them know that you gotta get involved in this process. This is not just something that you think about this is not just something that you dwell on, but this is something that you get involved in. And so it's not enough to receive a principle. You've got to put it into practice. You can't just know something. You've got to do it. To him that knoweth to do good and does it not, to that person, to him, it becomes a sin. And so we have to put that in practice. Peace defined in this particular scripture comes from a word that means quietness or rest or to set at one. I find that interesting. To set at one, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that know how to set at one. That means to take something that's been broken and put it back together, to make at one again, to make whole again. It's listed as an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit and, and for a reason, because spiritually we were in a broken relationship with God. Our spirit 
was at odds with his spirit. And so in this condition, there is no peace in the spirit, but when God manifested himself in the flesh and reconciled the world to himself, he brought peace to the situation, or that is to say that he set that at one again. That that was broken, he brought that at one again. And so that's why it's called atonement, atonement. Amen, I've used this illustration many times through the years, but if you break the word atonement into three different components, you find at one amen, at one that God takes broken things and brings it back to at one, at one together. The Lord sets that which is divided back together into one again. And oh, what a need for peacemakers. Uh, certainly this is on topic for the day that we're in today. But in order for there a peacemaker to have a place, in order for a peacemaker to be needed or to fulfill a role, there has to be a lack of or a loss of peace. So when you think about wars and dissensions and conflicts and all the things that not only divide nations, but they divide families and they divide individuals, when we think about all of that, All too often when this happens, those involved are not willing to correct the problem. Maybe they recognize the problem, but not willing to correct the problem. Therefore, a third party is needed, a mediator. Someone has to get involved, not not just to be a busybody, but to get involved to attempt to bring peace back to a situation. And so in this case, Jesus Christ was that mediator. Amen, he brought that back together. He looks at us and requires of us now, of us now to become mediators in the situations where we can. In Isaiah 9 and 6, the scripture said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Hebrews tells us this, 13, 20, and 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the, the dead from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will according in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom glory be glory forever and ever, amen. So the scripture here shows us that, that one aspect of God's nature is peace, peace. That's always been his intention was to bring peace into troubled lives, peace into troubled situations. God is that peace speaker. Amen, that has always been his intention. And so in this beatitude, his, he, he looks at his disciples and he said, you're blessed or you're happy if you are a peacemaker. And so as one person said, if you're facing a fire and you've got two buckets, one's got fuel and one's got water, It's your choice what you're gonna toss on that fire. You're either gonna help the situation or you're gonna intensify the situation. The Bible says in Proverbs 12 and 20, deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. To the counselors of peace is joy. Proverbs 16 and seven, the Bible says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. A peacemaker is a person that labors together for the good of other people to bring peace. So instead of fanning that flame of strife and envy and things of that nature, peacemakers use their influence, they use their wisdom, they use their knowledge to reconcile contentious situations or contending parties, whatever it may be. They're just peacemakers. 
And so he says, then what is the reward then? What, what, is the, what is the kickback for being a peacemaker? He said, for they shall be called the children of God. What an incredible promise and reward, but what an incredible promise. To get the full significance of this, you have to realize how amazing it is that God would call us his child, a son. John 1 and 12, the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So there are rights and privileges to a, that are attached to being a child of God. I'm thankful that I can pray and I can seek God's face without shame, without any embarrassment. He's my father. Amen. Romans 8, the Bible says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So this lets us know that we can be led by his spirit. Romans 8 and 15 says, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so bondage is removed and we are no longer bound by fear. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. I'm thankful for that. How many are thankful to be free from the bondage of sin? My Lord, my Lord, amen. The verse, verse that follows this, verse 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are no longer strangers to him. Not only that, but we are his children. It's not just that we're not strangers, but you could not be a stranger and just be an acquaintance. You could not be a stranger and just be a friend, but he said, you're my son. Sons and daughters, we're his children. And so the 17th verse says this, then if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And so being a child of God automatically makes us an heir of God. And so that entitles us to a lot of things. Praise God. The inheritance that God has invested for all of his children. And so we come without shame, without our heads bowed low. And so we think about the vastness of God's inheritance. Verse number 18 gives us just a slight insight to show the magnificent the magnificent measure of his mercy here. Verse number 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So whatever we're going through, I could ask for a showing of hands tonight. Anybody going through some stuff? Well, I think every hand would probably go up. Amen, going through some things. But Paul said that the sufferings of this present world, what I'm going through right now, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So we have to keep enduring a few things here without a doubt, but a day of rec- a reward and a day of recompense is coming. First Corinthians 2 and 9, the scripture says, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, I don't know what this scripture means to you, but when I read that passage of scripture and I read that slow and I let that just sink in just a little bit, I hath not seen, ear heard, not even entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, you may just charge me with being small-minded, but when I... When I look around and I see the vastness of buildings and bridges and when I see 
the beauty and the wonder of just, if I could just use Disney, Walt Disney. My mind says, how can somebody even think to do this? Much less pull it off. So when you think of towering skyscrapers that dot our globe, someone thought about doing that. When you think about all of the things that man has created that wow us and bedazzle us beyond the telling. But Paul said, it has, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, it hasn't even entered into the mind of a man what God hath prepared. I, I, I find it hard to not get a little encouraged when I read that. To know this is not in vain. I realize that that it, this is what's coming, just being a child of God, and that child of God must be a peacemaker. I'm gonna ask our musicians to come, and if you will, let's stand. <clears throat> Several years ago now, I'm not even sure I was going to look and see, but many years ago now, a man by the name of Philip Keller wrote a book. I remember reading this. I don't know, I think even Brother Rayleigh and I have talked about it. I think you even read this book several years ago. Philip Keller was a, a sheep rancher for a few years in his life. And from that, from that little snippet of his life, he wrote a book entitled A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And it is an interesting read. If you, it's an old book, but it would be worth your time. And in this book, Philip Keller goes through the shepherd psalm and he explains Psalms 23 from the viewpoint of a shepherd. And so I'm not going to try to go over everything, but just one thing. He explains in this book that that there is a pecking order among sheep and that sometimes that creates conflict among sheep. He writes hundreds of times, I have watched an old austere you walk up to a younger one who might be feeding or even resting quietly in a sheltered spot. And that old you would arch her neck, tilt her head, dilate her eyes, and approach the other you with a stiff-legged gait. All of this was saying in unmistakable, in unmistakable terms, move over out of my way or else. If the other you did not immediately leap to her feet in self-defense, she was sure to be butted unmercifully. Or even if she did rise to accept the challenge, one of two strong bumps would soon send her scurrying for safety. But one point that always interested me was this. He writes, whenever I came into view and my presence attracted their attention, the sheep quickly forgot about their rivalries and stopped their fighting because the shepherd's presence made all the difference in their behavior the shepherd's presence. So here it is, the shepherd's presence living in us should be that one thing that makes all the difference. Conflict, fighting, angst within our spirit, people that are Holy Ghost filled not only should not be participating in all that nonsense, we are to be putting that out. Our very presence ought to speak peace to situations. Amen. 
Amen. Peacemakers. Peacemakers. That's what God's called us to do. That's what he's called us to be. He said, this will be your reward. They shall be called the children of God. The children of God. Because you possess something inside that is so undeniable. So undeniable. And so I say this evening to every one of us, it's not just enough to get the Holy Ghost. Not just enough to be baptized in his name. It's not just enough to repent of our sins, but we gotta keep walking toward the light and let the spirit of God mold us and make us and shape us and help us to be what this passage of scripture teaches us that we can be. I mentioned this to you in our very first lesson that that Jesus sat down on the hill, called the multitudes to him, and he began to talk about this, not because he had time to waste but he said, I gotta share something with you that'll help you be the church that you need to be. Amen. May God touch us tonight. Would we just, amen, if you wanna just pray where you are, would you just let that become an altar? Amen. Would you let the Spirit of God touch us and strengthen us by the power of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.